Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. There is so much news to get to today, and I've got with me three of my all-time favorite guests to help cover it all. They are the hosts of the Fifth Column podcast, which I love. If you ever just want to be entertained and have a good time and, and hear interesting discussions, go listen to it. Michael Moynihan, who's a correspondent for Vice News Tonight, Matt Welch, who's editor-at-large for Reason Magazine, and Camille Foster of Freethink Media. They're all in on this together, and now they're all with us together. And we're going to dive into all things COVID, Afghanistan, Nicki Minaj, going nuclear on Joy Reid, and so on. Hey, guys, great to have you here. Morning. Hi, Megan. (laughs) That's fun to be able to see you. Well, we can't yeah. see you. Yeah, What's going on here? Scam. I know. We got to figure that out. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, we actually have, um, you can see the show now at youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. We post it like a couple hours after the show is over, but yeah, this is the only place you can get it live. Uh, all right. So I don't even know where to begin, <laughs> um, but I feel like the Nicki Minaj place is actually as good a place as any. <laughs> the, the most, <laughs> It's like the most weirdness I've seen all at once in cable news uh, in a while. Nicki Minaj sends out a tweet saying, I'm not sure. I'm not going to go to the Met Gala because I don't want to be told I have to get vaccinated. And I'll make up my mind later if I want to get vaccinated. And she tells some story about her cousin's friend who allegedly got the vaccine and his balls got inflamed. Okay, I got balls into the first minute of our show. Yep. (laughs) I do have the serious. (laughs) And then Joy Reid went after her, you know, and her nasty. She's always angry. I actually think we have the Joy Reid soundbite. Um. And let's get it ready and then we'll play it. Yeah, let's listen. And people like Nicki Minaj, I have to say this. You have a platform, sister, that is 22 million followers. Okay, I have 2 million followers. You have 22 million followers on Twitter. For you to use your platform to encourage our community to not protect themselves and save their lives. My God, sister, you could do better than that. You got that platform. It's it's a blessing. It's a blessing that you got that, that people listen to you and they listen to you more than listen to me for you to use your platform to put people in the position of dying from a disease they don't have to die from. Oh, my God. As a fan, as a hip hop fan, as somebody who is your fan. I'm so sad that you did that. So sad that you did that, sister. Oh, my God. Sister. Three sister. sister. 
<laughs> Brother Camille. <laughs> oh, she and Nicki Minaj apparently, yeah, ticked off Joy Reid in the left in a massive way. And she's been taking incoming ever since. She got an invitation from the White House to either go to the White House or have a phone call with a White House doctor. Depends on who you ask. Tucker Carlson's defending her. That sent the Internet into a meltdown last night because Nikki retweeted a Tucker segment mm-hmm. defending. I mean, it's like I, I didn't recognize that Nicki Minaj had this much power. I guess that was my my bad. <laughs> but you tell me, I'll start with you, Camille. Why? Why has this become such a huge thing? Because the entire world has gone crazy. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone is insane. Uh, the 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 mere fact that Nicki Minaj is disseminating, I guess, health advice or public health <laughs> advice with relate with respect to the COVID vaccine, um, tells you all you need to know. Every aspect of the pandemic has been politicized, and this has been true since almost the outset. Before it was the left who was telling you not to panic at all. This is all fine. You can totally go to the the Chinese New Year parades. And it was the right who was somewhat skeptical and was interested in maybe shuttering borders. Um, and now the entire world is completely flipped upside down. Um, I, I don't know if we've learned anything at all from Nicki Minaj gate. It'll be, or do we call this like balls gate? I'm not it's sure. Balls gate. But yes, it'll be please. a couple of days before we know if, <laughs> yeah, if, if someone at the White House is able to persuade her that she's all wrong about this. Um, but at a minimum, I mean, we do have like some very real material challenges. And it's interesting to see just how much time nonsense like this ends up sucking up in a country where we still do have a pandemic that we're trying to figure out how to navigate, balancing our health concerns with our economic concerns. We've got genuine economic difficulties with inflation starting to creep up. It'd be nice if we spent a little bit of time talking about those things as well. But I no. suppose it's nice to have some some distractions right. occasionally. I'm not going to lie, because I'm not going to lie. I'm enjoying the Joy Reid, Nicki Minaj fight. Is yeah. it just me? <laughs> I have to say, Megan, I was unaware that we were going to discuss this, yet I still do have a screenshot of a Nicki Minaj text on my phone, uh, uh, between, on my phone what? that I took in bed this morning because I was like, the world is gone totally mad. This is the in thing that happened. this morning, yeah, 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 a yeah. tweet sure. about balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicki Minaj. It's a day this ending is, and why? Yeah, Scrotegate uh, <laughs> 1.0. So I'm, I, I take a screenshot of this and I'm thinking when I took the, the subway into the city, um, you know, it's what I've always said about the incredible thing that New York is not full of libertarians, because if you try to get on public transportation, it's like, holy shit, they cannot do anything in the city. Nothing works. The same thing is kind of true about celebrities these days and, you know, kind of an- being annoyed by the left, because once they kind of interact with them, they realize how difficult it is. You know, like Ro- mm-hmm. uh, Rose McGowan is the latest one. This is Nicki Minaj's tweet this morning. I'll get, read you part of it, because for some reason, it's like 8,000 characters. She's she has a lot of them. Limit. Yeah. Uh, people aren't human anymore. I don't know what that means. If you're black and a Democrat tells you to shove marbles up your ass, you simply have to. <laughs> now, that's one way of phrasing it. Yeah, I wouldn't sure. have done so My myself. God. But I, do enjoy. Camille is, I mean, I hope you're not a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, thankfully. <laughs> Thank God. But, uh, but yeah, that was the Nicki Minaj. And I also enjoyed uh, Cardi B, who uh, was about a couple years ago when her, her first record was like selling tons of copies and she was making all this money. She took to Instagram to talk about tax Taxes, rates. Yeah. She was like, holy shit, I have yeah. to pay all this money to the government. I'm like, look, 
See, interacting yeah. with the real world can uh, can change your politics a little bit. It's I so just am really true. happy that Tucker Carlson is talking about balls uh, openly <laughs> on TV every night. Again, the look on his face in general, that sort of pinched Tucker face yeah. with the word balls is, is what America needs to heal. Yeah. Yeah. I think, hopefully. you know, apparently speaking of wasting a bunch of time, the um the, the government of Trinidad and Tobago, where Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend allegedly resides, uh, says it's invested way too many hours trying to track down the allegedly impotent man who claims his <laughs> impotence is due to the vaccine. Now, you tell me, guys, I'm just thinking like they can't find said man, but I'm thinking like a guy's in the sack and things aren't going that well. And you're like, it's the vaccine. It's the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last thing you want is to be is to be seen, photographed, videoed, perhaps interviewed yeah. now that you're not functioning in the right. way that you thought. And maybe you confided in your cousin privately hoping that she wouldn't tell the entire universe. And she is also oh, Nicki Minaj as Joy Reid playing 20 million followers. But I love the fact that Joy Reid got, also got in that I have 2 million followers, yeah. which was like, yeah, it was like the humble brag of the whole thing. She did I, sound, she sounded a little bitter though. Yeah, she's a little bitter. Little. And she was uh, definitely code switching there. But um, I do appreciate that Trinidad and Tobago is taking up this this issue and is they're on it video and they're talking about we've invested all this time as the American government's trying to like get people out of Afghanistan, Trinidad right. and Tobago's. We're like we're trying to find the swollen man. It's kind That's of it. <laughs> it's as if the you know the governor of Alaska would have gotten into you know someone saying oh yeah my my girlfriend uh, is, is is in Alaska. Uh, and yeah, that's exactly. why uh, well, you haven't seen her. Uh, and it sort of blows up. We're looking for her. Yeah. This sounds like a former camp trauma that uh, <laughs> that many men have gone through. I swear, she exists. Wait, is it the cousin that has the balls or is it the cousin's friend? Okay, it, Cousin's friend. A story uh, from a cousin to... abroad who said yeah. he was declining to be vaccinated because his friend got it. And became impotent. Okay, so it's the cousin's friend who you raise a good point. So Nicki Minaj has a cousin in Trinidad and Tobago who whose friend confided in him, maybe not even knowing that he was Nicki's cousin, but certainly mm. not expecting it to become an international story. <laughs> and Don't now we're Nicki. <laughs> he's not Twin raising his hand. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not raising his hand to say i am the man whose balls are enlarged and equipment is not functioning properly <laughs> and we wonder why all right just letting everybody know i'm with camille foster matt welch and michael moynihan these guys are the hosts of the fifth column which we love and you should listen to if you're not already so i don't know i to me it's like it is sort of emblematic of COVID disinformation, which, you know, I have no idea what happened to that guy's testicles. But um, there are all sorts of stories about side effects that may or may not have been caused by the vaccine. You get these anecdotal reports and then people are like, you see, you see. And even with long COVID, for that matter, it's like I, I haven't had COVID, but God, I, I feel like. I might have long COVID right now. I'm, I'm tired. I, you know, a lot of the symptoms that they report, I'm like, I got that right now. So you just never know in some of the medical reporting that we're getting now what to believe. And Victor Davis Hansen has a really good piece out today talking about how right down to the very science itself, you know, the, the, the science, Dr. Fauci, we don't know what we can believe and what we can't believe. We, I know The Guardian just named him sexiest man alive. I, I don't I don't know that he's the most That's trustworthy. fake news right there. <laughs> You're not feeling that? No, I think it's fake news. He's he's objectively not the sexiest man alive. Back in, I'm sorry. Yeah, but this is how a lot on the left think. I mean, they they look at him like he is a yeah. godlike figure. 
One of the uh, the problems that you flag here is, uh, you know, we're 18 months into this and we actually know some stuff, mm-hmm. right? We've learned about things and yet you don't see that reflected in the news media. There's been a spate of headlines along the lines of, um, you know, uh, even though kids are back in school, rates of uh, COVID are falling, mm-hmm. even though. Right, like right. that. This is a, a this is a surprise. This is something that we've seen happen now for the most part uh, in most every country for the last you know year at least. When kids go back to school, rates fall because kids don't really get um, COVID, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's the expectation, not the opposite. But that kind of basic kind of literacy of where we have gone and what we're doing hasn't penetrated to the people who are supposed to be disseminating this uh, to any degree. I mean, there's a you guys have all probably seen the, uh, the kind of viral picture that was tweeted out by a union in New York of, uh, you know, they're really proud to say, look, we're protecting the uh, our classrooms. The guy's walking around in like the worst jury rig, like hazmat suit spraying upwards yes. some kind of uh, you know, Lysol, <laughs> something or other to the ceilings in a yeah. classroom. We're Science. doing this now, yeah. 18 months later. Um, I, I have a lot of blame for the news media in this because it, we we know better than this. We shouldn't be wiping down groceries anymore or writing as if that's yeah. how the stuff gets spread. Did, yeah, we talked about parallels tonight. Didn't we talk about the last time you guys have kids in New York? Yeah, I I have uh, two kids uh, in who go to school, 13 uh, and 6, um, uh, eighth grade and first grade, and pulled the younger one out of the public school system because there's no, um, uh, there's no expectation that they're going to manage this normally. Um, they're going to, they're right now, if you have one kid who tests positive in an elementary school uh, classroom, everybody has to go home for 10 days. Um, that doesn't seem to be a recipe for, and they're, you know, they're testing often enough that you're going to catch some people who are going to have it and not have any symptoms. Um, that's just not a recipe for keeping kids in school. So, I mean, I'm quite happy with the private, my, my daughter goes to private school um, and she managed one day of school yep. uh, on Monday uh, before we shut down uh, because oh, a on. teacher tested positive. And, you know, all things last year over at the Hugo Chavez Academy, that my daughter goes to school in uh, Brooklyn, um, was great, actually, because they did not react the way that the public schools reacted. And she was in school most of the year and they uh, handled it in a totally uh, smart, mature way. Not there's no intervention from idiotic uh, teachers unions. There's no intervention from some mega bureaucracy. There was a small coterie of people that discussed it and came up with an actually decent uh, strategy. I thought it was slightly overblown at times, but at least she was in school, and that was in, that was important to us. Megan, where'd you you pulled your kids out of your private school, right? Because yep. you were upset with the the wokeness brigade. We, yeah, we left we left New York because of the crazy far left oh, indoctrination okay. being shoved down our throats in these schools, and we were in the private schools. It wasn't. It really wasn't a COVID thing. It was. It was a crazy hard left indoctrination thing, and found found schools. We moved to Connecticut and we're in a district now where, I mean, it's, we're at a private school, but it's reasonable. You know, they're, they're not anti-diversity, equity, inclusion and all that, but they're not signing on to this, you know, hard racist agenda that we're seeing in the New York schools or hard trans promotional agenda. I, I would say what I've seen so far is they're, they're non-bullying, they're about support, they're about sort of the way things used to be, right? Like we're, we encourage kids to be good to one another and kind and accepting and loving and not just about the so-called anti-racist agenda or, you know, uh, DEI agenda where you have six DEI officers who are looking for nails to hammer all day long. Um, but I will say they're they're very 
uptight when it comes to the COVID restrictions. Um, and even this week, we saw our our 11 year old outside. The day was 82 degrees and they all had their masks on while they're doing squat thrusts mm. and sit ups and push ups and planks. And our son was telling us that some of the boys were in full face sweat, masks completely dripping wet while they're doing these exercises outdoor. And I was like, you will not do that, that you you are not allowed to do that. It isn't safe. And there's been a follow up between us and our school. But it's just that the insanity is not science based and it's maddening, maddening. Yeah. Yeah. On the, on the podcast, we've talked a lot about the parallels between 9-11 and all of the various a- actions that happened subsequently. And one of the most prominent features of the, the post 9-11 world is the security theater. And that is yeah. precisely what we see playing out in schools. It's the person sp- spraying Lysol into the air in the classroom <laughs> uh, that Moynihan and Welch were alluding to a moment ago. Um, it's the masks outside on the playground. Um, I am very grateful for the private Montessori school that I send our three-year-old to, that we send our three-year-old to. I don't want my wife to hear me. They say, <laughs> I do that all I'm, the time. I don't time. make unilateral decisions. I, I don't do, do that it. all the time. I don't do it. Doug's like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a partnership. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Uh, The security theater is just so out of phase with this ridiculous mantra, believe science, which we know at this point that we don't so much believe science as arrive at conclusions and stick to those conclusions as much as possible. And anytime new facts emerge that seem to conflict with the, the previous thing that we believed we tend to be pretty rigidly holding on to the previous, uh, previously believed, previous beliefs that we had, um, and that's not how science works. Science is about falsifiability. Like you believe something until new evidence comes along. Oh, but and you know that our okay. approach to public health is all about politics and not about science. Yes. Yeah, 100%. yeah. I mean, there, people are science signaling. Uh, it's a yeah. sort of vir- uh, virtue signaling in the sense that, like, you know, you're anti-science if you believe that the, you know, they're in vaccine shedding and some of the nonsense that you hear from the, like, furthest precincts of the kind of uh, Trumpy right. Uh, but you're not considered anti-science if you're running by yourself on the East River with a mask on. Yes. You are a lunatic. You clearly know nothing about science. <laughs> but if you're overcompensating, that's considered a positive thing. That's not considered anti-science because it's science signaling. Because you're showing everybody that I care about all of you who are about a half a mile from me and might walk by me and that yeah. I'm not going to infect you. I mean, look at the, the California recall, right? Gavin Newsom uh, stomped. He survived in a huge way. Um, and what was the what was his message? What was the message of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and everyone who traveled into the state? It was like, you have to vote no on the recall because we are in favor of science. This is a governor <laughs> who yellow taped playgrounds yeah. in December 2020. Oh he yellow in California. That was science tape. Yes, science tape. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were putting the pouring sand on skate parks. They were pulling, you know, skin borders out of the water in Malibu. You have the greatest natural climate possible to deal with COVID, which is that you can have your school out outdoors. Mm-hmm. You can open yeah, the window. Right. It's California. And and mm-hmm. they didn't do any of that. And yet they are they are uh, uh, congratulating themselves for doing a great victory for science 
this week in California. I it's, would be uh, terrified if I were a Californian because it, well, clearly, if you listen to Gavin Newsom after winning the recall, he's like, all of my policies have been affirmed. This is a vote for my my anti my mandatory vaccinations and my mandatory mask policies <laughs> and cracking down on you know COVID. That's how he wants to say it. it what he's doing is um, as much as humanly possible. You know, I think he thinks this is a thumbs up for lockdowns, uh, and I do think there are some signs now that Californians, notwithstanding how they voted on the recall, they didn't want Larry Elder. I get it, um, are starting to get a little sick of this nonsense. I don't think this was a vote for all of his policies. And by the way, all the CRT stuff, critical race theory stuff, he took it as an affirmation there. And just today in the news, there was um, a National Review had an article about how there is what looks like it's going to be a successful push to recall three members of the school board in San Francisco, guys, San Francisco, Mm -hmm. because of their crazy, it's sort of COVID and CRT combined policies of keeping the schools closed while they focus their efforts on getting Thomas Jefferson's name or Abraham Lincoln's name off of the various schools out there. That's that's their priority. My favorite of of that one is that uh, that one of the names they took off was a person (laughs) whose name was attached to a museum that's who right. had a statue that they didn't like, even though that statue like was put up 20 years after the person had anything to do. Like the the, the chain of the of custody was right. insane. Right. To, Fruit of the to poisonous tree. <laughs> uh, but that, that's happening all, all around the country. There's been a, a huge backlash. Uses of recall mechanism where that's available. And, and you know, California is going to soon make the recall mechanism much less available now in the wake mm. of the recall, which I think is a, is a, a terrible move. But um, this is happening where people are running for a school board because they're coming face to face with both of those policies at once. And when they're juxtaposed next to, to each other, that's when it's especially maddening. We just got, you know, all the emails and stuff from uh, our middle school. Um, public middle school where my daughter goes to, um, you know, welcoming back. It's the first time five day a week school that we've had since March 2020. So it's kind of a big deal. And um, most of the messaging associated with it was all about equity teams um, and uh, and strike forces and, and all of this stuff. And I'm like, OK, can we. Uh, do we talk about the COVID? Where we, where's the COVID? And keeping mm-hmm. people in school and making sure that things are open. It was totally de-emphasized. De- de- Democrats in general are going to realize that Americans are slightly slow in this stuff. Um, it usually catches up with them, but it's not an immediate thing. And if Gavin Newsom is taking a victory lap and thinks that it's an affirmation of having homeless people um, overrun San Francisco like the Michael Jackson thriller video. That's not an affirmation of that. And essentially all of these um, policies will catch up, particularly tax policies. I mean, California is essentially like Norway West at this point, tax-wise. Yeah. Uh, the homeless problem, which is, you know, taken over entire beaches in your home city of LA. California Matt. lost population it, last year. It's for, never happened. It's it, the first yeah. time ever. And New York Think had of how those poor people are feeling yeah. today, listening, like people who, maybe they didn't want Larry, but they weren't really in love with Gavin Newsom and they got stuck with him. And now he's like, yes, I'm resolved in all of my policies more than ever. And this isn't even touching on his disgusting hypocrisy with all of his mandates while he went to French laundry without his mask on. And it continues, right? We're going to get into this next. Um, Not only what we saw at the Met Gala, which was disgusting, the hypocrisy there, but now the NBA. The NBA is not going to require vaccines for the players, not mandatory vaccines, but for all the serfs who are around the players. Yeah, guess what? It's going to be a different policy. We're going to talk about all the privilege privilege uh, involved in that move in just one second. Stand by. Let's talk about relationships. There is a common misconception that they have to be easy to be right. 
but sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself, these are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Megan. Welcome back, everyone, to The Megan Kelly Show. So happy to be bringing you the hosts of the fifth column today, Michael Moynihan, Matt Welch, and Camille Foster. So yeah, it just comes out today that the NBA is not going to require vaccines for the players. As for the refs, the arena staff, and other game day personnel whose duties require them to be within 15 feet of the players, well, they all have to get one. Just like if you want to kneel down next to AOC at the Met Gala, you better have your mask over your face, but she's not going to have hers. And this is becoming a theme, you know, from Gavin Newsom and the French Laundry to, um, you know, all these politicians that we've seen throughout trying to skirt the rules, sort of issue these mask mandates and then skirt off to the city limits to go have a maskless outing. Um, And now it comes to sports. What do you make of it? The NBA has been working on this for for a long time. I mean, many, many months ago, they mandated that everyone essentially who is not a player pretty much has to have a a, a vaccine. So that's the referees. It's the folks who work on the team, the the players association or one of these team team, uh, people who represent the players themselves says that 75 percent of the players are vaccinated. And they've been going back and forth about this insane scheme by which they would separate players and have lockers for the unvaccinated on the other side of the arena. And you'd have to ride in a different section of the plane. You have to eat separate from everyone else. There there are a couple of things come to mind immediately. It is hard for me to believe that if that 25 percent included mostly just marginal players as opposed to superstars who've been, I don't Mm. know, a little cagey when asked directly whether or not they want to get vaccinated or have been vaccinated. LeBron James. Um, (laughs) So I, I, I think if it wasn't for the big money guys saying no to this, that they would probably move on and just do the mandate for all of the players and the players would do it because the WNBA is apparently like 99% vaccinated it, it and has been no for some time now. Look, look at the situation we're now in, thanks to Biden's executive order. We've got nurses who have had COVID, who have natural immunity, who are about to get their asses fired if they don't get a vaccine mm-hmm. that they do not appear to need. Um, but so they're going to get fired and they're not going to be able to take care of people who are going to the hospitals who didn't get vaccinated, right? They, they won't be there anymore to take care of them because they think their natural immunity ought to be good enough in the same way Rand Paul thinks his ought to be good enough. And the studies are suggesting you may even have better uh, better immunity if you had COVID. Yeah, but more durable. You, can have, yeah. you can have basketball players running around on the court because I guess Biden's order doesn't encompass them. Um, who are unvaccinated. And that's just fine because what science <laughs> I'm I'm thinking it's more like money and elitism and their ability to earn a bunch of money for people who own sports teams and arenas. Well, one part yeah, of it, 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 at least they're not the basketball players uh, are not 
themselves being uh, hypocrites about it. They're not spending all of their time telling everybody that they really need to get vaccinated and come on, stop being all all uh, uh, hesitant in the South or wherever. They're not doing that. That's unlike. No, the they're like, did you hear what happened to Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend? <laughs> Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> this big. <laughs> I guess you're free for Just for the record, but, I don't think it was the, the big testicles that was the problem, allegedly. It was the alleged impotence that followed the big balls. Megan, you're really following this story yeah. closely. I just want to say that if you are the <laughs> legitimate concerns. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting. What happened? Like, how big? <laughs> what point did the bigness cross over into non-functionality? all of this stuff um makes me realize that the the world is gaslighting me and is gaslighting all of us because you know if you go back you know 100 years 75 years etc you look at people who would identify themselves as socialists and as working class and let's take you know just a certain acronymed politician uh supposedly from queens aoc who referred to herself? So not from Queens, by as the way. So a, not no, no, Queens. she's from up. She's like from Yorktown you know, Heights is a nice area in yeah, Westchester, nice which area, is a, yeah. a rich. She's county. from yeah, she's from Westchester. Uh, she referred to herself as a as a working uh, a working class woman of color, you know, who you know is a celebrity and drives a Tesla and, and is in Congress and is on television all the time, like like the average working class person, right? And we are asked to believe that somebody wearing a tax the rich dress and sorry to to transition to this, but there's so much overlap between the NBA and this, is the most offensive thing about this, and good God, it's hard to keep track of the offensive things about this, was the initial video of the Beatles-like crowd pulling their hair and screaming, taking photos of her as she was getting into her limo, uh, and a masked person, a masked pleb, or as Megan referred to them as serfs, the serfs behind them, holding the train of her, what, $30,000 dress, whatever oh it was, gosh. to get into a car, the working class woman with uh, the designer who sells $2,000 boots and her uh, boyfriend, who is the son of Edgar Bronfman, the uh, owner of Seagram's, a billionaire. Um, and then we're supposed to be told, we're told the same day that this is a working class person. There's a point at which I got to figure out what drugs I'm taking in the morning and not realizing it. Yeah. <laughs> I must be Honestly, taking ecstasy. What is it? She was like, she was a bartender. Similar. So I guess she gets to claim that she's working class forever. Mark is like, I, w- I used to be a cocktail waitress. So am I still working class? Do I get to just pretend yeah, nothing happened from that point to this? Great, yes. I'm working class too. I don't think too. that works. I don't think no. that works. Yeah. And, and those you know, pictures, the Camille, those, oh, those pictures from the Met Gala are infuriating. It's, it's, it's so many things, right? It's like the Surfs down on their knees, literally, while these pretend stars, these wannabe stars, walks step over them with their masks off. It's the fact that your kids and mine are in school all day with these muzzles over their faces, which I don't want, <laughs> and I can't do anything about it. But they can go into the Met, which, by the way, has a vaccine mandatory policy and and requires masks, and they didn't follow it. Nobody gives a damn, uh, and they can parade around without their masks all day long. While these guys, including Mayor De Blasio, are the very ones who are responsible for kids like Matt's having to wear masks all day in school. But he he can parade around the Met mask free because science again yeah the stated goals of these mandates are our health and getting the unvaccinated to actually decide to finally get vaccinated but when we've looked at polling related to the people who've said that yeah i'm not vaccinated 
Most of them say they don't plan to get vaccinated for various reasons. Um, but for the ones who are just sitting it out because they're a little nervous, they're uncertain. I mean, I know from personal experience, I've been talking to my mom who is among the unvaccinated. She's skeptical. She's afraid. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen her in a very long time. And I'm encouraging her to do this thing. We were making progress. Once the mandate came down, mm-hmm. I, I found myself at starting block again, really trying say to persuade her yeah. that this is something we should work on. She, I, I'm not sure she knows who Nicki Minaj is, uh, but she does. But she does hear what the president says, and and I have to I have to think that for a number of people, the insistence that you have to do this or else. Um, the insistence that you must do this right now because it's totally fine and that's how we're going to force you to do it. Also, we need to protect the the vaccinated by keeping yes. the unvaccinated separate that from them. The yes, it's, it's almost so incoherent, and I don't. That is such think a good point. The most that, sane strategy to try to get people to actually trust that this makes sense. Family members are working with people. Community members are working with people. I've been making progress with her. And it really does feel like the the push, the insistence to, that she do this or else um, actually created more of an obstacle for us to overcome as opposed to at, making it At every turn, he's undermined his message, right? He's like, he's out there saying, we've got to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. It's like, well, why? Isn't the vaccine the thing that's going to protect me? What? Now I have to get it because otherwise I'm still going to be really at you know, vulnerable to people who choose not to get it and him constantly wearing his mask, even though he's six feet away from everybody. He's in a completely safe space. Kamala Harris, too. Both of them undermining the vaccine when when Trump was president, saying they wouldn't take it under him. And now suddenly, because, again, science on January 20th, 2020, uh, 20. Yeah. Everything changed. People get it. People like your mom are like, uh, you know, I'm I'm losing faith in you and your messaging. And I don't know. I just think people are ticked off, guys. I feel like, you know, the, the thing with AOC, it's become a national story, not just it's like the Met Gala and whoever the, the hell pays attention to the Met Gala outside of New York City. But those images are bad. And if I were a celebrity, J-Lo or whoever else is there, I'd be embarrassed to have been in the midst of it with my mask off with the, you know, Glenn Greenwald had a great, of course, as usual, he had a great write up of the whole thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but he was talking about, you know, the elitism that was on display there, how gross it was and how um, basically what they were trying to say was um, there's no need for noses or mouths or other identifiable feature, facial features for those who are converted into ser- servile robots. He said, mm. um, once again, what we're seeing is elites prancing around in the middle of a pandemic maskless while those paid an hourly wage to serve them or desperately trying to snap a photo of them were required to keep their pointless faces covered with cloth at all times. <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, people tend to forget this about Glenn, who's a frequent guest on our podcast, been on a bunch of times, uh, is that Glenn is an old school leftist. And this is a classic issue for an old school leftist class warrior, right? You see these rich people, whether they're AOC or not. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, uh, Lenin or or, you know, Stalin being like, I'm going to go to the ball uh, that the Romanovs are throwing with this really fancy tunic on that says, you know, uh, shoot, shoot the Romanovs. I mean, it's insane. Like, Bernie, can you imagine, honestly, can you imagine Bernie Sanders doing this? I've interviewed Bernie a couple times. I have respect for Bernie. I disagree with almost everything he says on a policy level. But, you know, I have a certain level of respect for him. Bernie's not going to the Met Gala. There is a He does it the dignified way from the privacy of his three houses. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm staying in the one in the month tonight. And he's not, <laughs> I'm not going to New York. And he's, he's a New York accent. That's the only thing you need. But it yeah. is, and to the point about messaging, I think this is really, really important. 
and often overlooked. And Megan, you pointed out when, when Biden came up and said, you know, we have to protect us vaccinated people from the unvaccinated. And whether it's somebody like Camille's mother, whether it's just the average person trying to figure out what all this stuff means and what the public health officials have done is that they treat Americans like dumb children. So they err on the side of the worst case scenario. What does that do? It undermines confidence in the efficacy of the vaccine because you say there's breakthrough cases, you could spread it, you could do this. They never talk about the very, very small amount of breakthrough cases relative. We heard so much mm -hmm. about what happened at Bear Week in Provincetown. If you don't yeah. know what I'm talking about, Google it, but just not on your work computer. Not image. <laughs> and there was the X number, 800 people in a very, very particular scenario, right? And this is what started the Delta panic. And how many people were hospitalized? A handful. How many people died? Zero. That's not what we heard. We heard this is what can actually happen. These are the breakthrough cases. So we've been relying so heavily on trying to scare people into getting a vaccine. But the irony of it is the scare message undermines the idea of the efficacy of the vaccine, mm -hmm. which is just no one is noticing this. Andrew I mean, Sullivan came on the show and he explained Bear Week and then he, he lives in Provincetown <laughs> and he explained Bear Week and he said that there's a different week. I think it's the before Bear Week, there's Circuit yeah. Week. Circuit yeah. Week, he explained, is for gay men who are on like the gym circuit, who are ripped. Yeah. They don't they wouldn't be caught hmm. dead at Bear Week. That's, you know, and that's sort of like the older, softer gay man's week. And then he I said, are you which one are you? I, 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 I dissed him inadvertently by saying he was a bear and he told me he's a daddy. Anyway, it was a great interview, and he was <laughs> his normal, clever self. You should go listen. I'm to learning it. from you today, Megan. About that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm your own doctor, Fauci. <laughs> I would be remiss not to share with uh, with uh, listeners and viewers that Andrew Sullivan came on the Fifth Column pod podcast, and for ten minutes talked about balls in Provincetown. He did. It's, it's, See? Uh, yeah. it's a theme. World, world, yeah. world pools, yeah. and yeah, conservatives. All the best people are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. So not only I mean, it really is infuriating because we get lectured by these virtue signalers all the time and they all they also change policy in a way that affects us, our kids and so on. And we're we're at their mercy right now. You know, people are going to get fired because of Biden's order. Uh, and I'm pro vaccine. I, I took the vaccine. I hope everybody takes the vaccine, but I don't like the shaming and the demonization of whole classes of Americans. I was thinking about you guys because I really don't like the big thumb of big government. And, you know, you guys are libertarians and to see like that thumb is everywhere. It's everywhere we turn from our lives to our schools. And there was this one clip that sort of espoused, it, it sort of shows the attitude of those enforcing these policies with our kids, with others. This one's out of Illinois, where take a listen to this school worker who catches a kid not wearing his mask properly. Oh, no. You're playing? Are you playing? No, I'm not. Oh. Otherwise, I will call the police. Oh. I'm serious. Not here, Mikey. Yeah. Oh, you're serious? Yeah, I am serious, man. I am had enough of it. I knew you were gonna take off your mask the moment I turned the corner. So enjoy BIA. That's a school suspension where you have to sit in a room with the military guy all day because you're a piece of Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Great. That's amazing. That guy needs help. He needs he a does. vacation. He's he, well. He's he lost his job. Well. He was forced to resign. Yeah. But which fine. Oh, right? that's a vacation. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, I read. I'm happy. I have to say, I'm happy because you can't have that a guy like that, that uptight, that torqued up, working around kids who, you know, oh yeah, try to skirt the mask policy here or there. I mean, Chicago was one of the worst uh, situations for keeping schools closed, not just in 
their the union's uh, intransigence on the issue, but the way that they messaged it. Uh, there was a message directly from the Chicago's Teachers Union in December 2020 um, saying that uh, people who want to uh, open schools, which is what schools are supposed to be doing, open, educate <laughs> kids, uh, people who want to do that, uh, that that was a function of white supremacy. Of course. Um, that it was, uh, that it was racism. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I was writing about it at the time and, and kind of looking into some of the um, the messaging by the union and by teachers. And they would say that all the time. There would be guys like that guy writing with the same pitch, like, you just want to kill all of mm. the minorities. It's like, well, or <laughs> <laughs> or we want kids who are minorities, but predominantly in the Chicago system, to stop being so poorly served by remote learning and go to the safest possible place, which is a school building. Um, that's kind of the opposite of what you were just talking about there. But that is what uh, so many teachers and teachers union message anytime and you know you all you guys know this anytime you uh, express in a public setting or in social media anything like hey we ought to have the schools open um, you will get someone who is either a teacher or claiming to be a teacher come in and say you want to kill children yes. and people mm -hmm. you yes. want to kill me well, you know, uh, I, I'm working in such a dangerous setting um, and also you're probably <laughs> racist. It's it's right. bananas and it's totally widespread. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, to be a racist murderer is just especially bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's what's driving my friends in New York crazy. My, I've told the story before. My one friend went to an open the schools rally. That's it. She's wanted to open the schools. She wanted her two little kids to go back to school and she was called a white supremacist. And she was like, wait. What? Um, but wait, hood she's, on her head she's, she's you have to see you have to put on your special glasses to see it. She's in good company because apparently all of our founders and now the National Archives are being accused of white supremacy. And there is a push now to put trigger warnings all over our founding documents. I'm going to bring that up right after this very quick break with the guys. Very happy to have the guys from the Fifth Column podcast, Michael Moynihan, Matt Welch and Camille Foster. We're going to get into that and we'll talk about what's happening with um General Milley in just a bit. Let's talk about relationships. There is a common misconception that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself, these are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Megan. Welcome back, everyone, to The Megan Kelly Show. Joining me today, the hosts of The Fifth Column podcast are here, Michael Moynihan, Matt Welch, and Camille Foster. So we've got to talk about the National <laughs> Archives. Um, I love Jonathan Turley's blog. It's been so good for so many years. He's brilliant. He's uh, inside the the college system. He's a he's a professor and he keeps an eye on all things legal and in particular, all things inside the Beltway. The National Archives 
mistakenly created some anti-racism task force. And what they have found is a need to, quote, reimagine our National Archives. You guys are going to love this. So if you ever gone to D.C., you go to the rotunda there, the National Archives, and you see like these these beautiful murals, uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And what this group has concluded is that these are an example of structural racism. They objected the display in the rotunda because it lauds wealthy white men while marginalizing BIPOC, right? That's um, black indigenous people of color, women and other minority communities. And what they want is for an, a reimagination of the space to be more inclusive, including possible dance and performance art. <laughs> because that, that'll solve it. Constitutional dance. Yes. <laughs> Very okay, wait, there, there's more, but uh, let's just start there. I'll get to the, the more in one second. What do you think? Constitutional I want to dance. do the third, the third amendment shuffle. <laughs> I was so I was so astonished to learn that this was was actually a real thing. Um, and then to go to the National Archives website and to read the warning, the potentially harmful content warning attached to the Constitution of the United States, a document that Frederick Douglass referred to as a glorious mm -hmm. liberty document. If well, only he, too he was knew a white supremacist. that he was completely infected <laughs> by white supremacy, so infected that he believed this great departure from a, a history of our species generally being in bondage, right? Like mm -hmm. our, our entire species had pretty much known that. The United States was a, a departure from a past in which most people had been subjugated in some way, shape, or form. And the attempt to set up an experiment where we would have people generally have a certain amount of liberty and the government be constrained in some sort of way, and an expectation that we would improve on this thing over time, and the notion that these people think that we need a warning on this is just so, it's, it's outrageous, but it's also one of those things where I think at some points, like it's important to leaven our our outrage and our contempt with ridicule, like just good natured ridicule yes. and maybe a little sympathy for these cool brains dopes who think that it's absolutely essential for them to slap warning labels on anything that might be remotely offensive. It, at this point, it seems that anything but, you know, a, a cup of of clean water, like at room temperature, not too cold, not too hot, is <laughs> is unacceptable and potentially dangerous to someone in America. And there, there's something dreadfully wrong with that. How weak are these people? You you tell me because they you imagine somebody coming over from Europe, from wherever to take a look at this incredible place and these incredible documents. And what they see is going to be, thanks to this group, new signage that would contain trigger warnings to protect tourists from trauma in seeing the founding documents. Visitors would now be warned that the documents may, quote, contain harmful language that reflects attitudes and biases of their time. Well, duh. What they want is uh, trigger warnings all over the place that would forewarn audiences of content that may cause intense psychological and psychological, physiological and psychological symptoms who Physiological are, and most yeah. convulsions i mean most people who would have that reaction are institutionalized they're not going to the national <laughs> are not institutionalized sweating screaming at the top of your lungs because you read the bill of rights there is something <laughs> wrong with you we should not cater to the 0.001% i mean camille's thing is right it just ridicules the best thing because these the people that are running 
America's national archives. These are the crown jewels of the American system of governance and, and of American history. Are this dopey and stupid that we have a major, major issue? And the thing is, of course, that they presume that everybody in America is dopey and stupid, that they cannot <laughs> actually adjudicate, you know, right from wrong, looking at, at documents of the past. There's a myth that undergirds a lot of this stuff. And we really, really have to get rid of it, but it's impossible to do, is that people don't know about this stuff otherwise. If you go to Florida, and I went down there to cover the CRT stuff, and I went to the to school board meetings and the, and the statewide one and some local ones, and you know, people don't recognize this. It is law in Florida that you teach about slavery. This is not something that is being elided by the schools. It's not as if some kid is going to the National Archives, and if they're you know, five years old, they're not going to get anything anyway, but who is 18 years old, 17 years old, who has never heard of slavery and this, um, this original sin of America. But we are very, very obsessed at the moment with casting the past in the most negative light possible, because as I've said before, you can do this and try it. You can write a book, you can teach a class where it is all unalloyed positive things about America, and it will be true. You can also do a class, a book, whatever, that is all unalloyed negative things about America, and it will be true. History is complicated. Don't tell people mm -hmm. that you're going to hurt, get your feelings hurt. If you read a document that actually reflects a different time in history, and as Camille pointed out, we have been in a state of, you know, enslavement and enslaving people for thousands and thousands of years. It's endemic in every culture. And William Wilberforce comes along and, you know, the, 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 you know, William Lloyd Garrison, the liberator. We have a great, great history of that, too, Absolutely. which we should actually look We're back celebrating. on and, and, and celebrate yeah. and say we did some positive things in a very, very negative environment with, the, with some negative aspects to our history. Megan, you said that uh, that, you know, they shouldn't have or it's an, an unfortunate that they have this task force. Well, it's an underreported thing about the Biden administration is that literally on day one of his administration, he signed a whole of government executive order um, at, uh, tasking every single department agency, um, uh, anything with doing a full kind of equity body scan, essentially, to, to make sure that uh, the hiring uh, is reflective of uh, needs of equity uh, that uh, the uh, outcomes of whatever that the department is doing of its laws are doing. So this, you know, there is an entire uh, infrastructure of people who are being hired up. They need things to do. And this mm -hmm. is what they're doing. And if you're going to do it at all, which you shouldn't, but if you're going to do it, I mean, it's really all about the Declaration of Independence anyways. All that savage <laughs> stuff. Like, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's pretty rough. Yeah. But you talk it's like you're going to go rough. look for equity and inclusion back at, you know, in 1776. You're not going to be finding a lot of women or people of color. That's just the facts. But to say that, and, and this is part of the, the pitch, we must create safe spaces at every facility run by the National Archives. And we have to do something about that famous mural because it's an homage to white America. I mean, History was what it was. That's who was running the country. That's who came up with the founding documents. It, it like that's it, who feels upset about it. It's a lamentation that that's how we got started, but we fixed it. You know, it's not perfect, but I don't look at the fact that in the Declaration of Independence is all men are created equal and feel upset. I, I have to go to a safe space. And it's pathetic to me that anybody would. Um, OK, we, we have so much more to cover with the guys, including what's happened with General Milley. Um, and now the Biden administration requiring immigrants coming over the border to be vaccinated. That's what they claim. It's actually not true. We're going to pick it up there in just a couple of minutes. Let's talk about relationships. There is a common misconception that they 
have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself, these are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Megan. Welcome back, everyone, to The Megan Kelly Show. Joining me today, hosts of The Fifth Column Podcast, Michael Moynihan, Matt Welch, and Camille Foster. And at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be taking your calls. We're new, you know, sort of figuring out the call situation. And it's been too squeezed so far. It's been too, like, we don't know if somebody's going to call. We don't leave too much time. What if nobody comes? We throw a party, nobody <laughs> comes, right? So we, today, call in, and we're going to get a bunch of calls, and we're leaving enough time. That is my promise to you today. Um I'm throwing the party. You better come. 833-44-MEGAN, M-E-G-Y-N. That's 833-446-3496. All right, guys. Uh, let's you talk about General Milley. Let's prank what a, Yeah, you can call back. Why don't I'll say goodbye to you guys and call back <laughs> in just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Calling in Megan's mom again. <laughs> She's like, I'm sick of that Dr. Fawcett. That's what my mom said. Dr. Fawcett. I should get Camille's mom. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she, she doesn't she know that, the same thing. Actually, yeah. <laughs> she's not. She's not aware he was sexiest man alive, and uh, the Guardian really seems to mean it. By the way, wait a minute. Let me see if I can find it because the quotes on that were so good. Hold on. What did I do with them? I'll come back to it later because it's worth reading what they said about Dr. Fawcett. Um, but first, let's talk about General Milley. This is a shitstorm. Um, General Milley, I think, did some stuff he really shouldn't have been doing. And I actually I'm not one of those to be like, and he should go and he should go. But I think General Milley needs to go. So I'll just tell you what I think on it. General Milley, it comes out now. We haven't seen the book, but the early accounts of Bob Woodward's latest book are that General Milley um, in the final days of Donald Trump's presidency, two days after the January 6th uh, attack and and then thereafter, was doing a couple of things. He was, he, he quote, single-handedly took secret action to limit Trump from potentially ordering a dangerous military strike or launching nuclear weapons, according to this book, which is called Peril. He worried that Trump could go rogue. Um, he called a secret meeting in his Pentagon office on January 8th to review the process for military action. This is from a report from CNN, including launching nuclear weapons, speaking to senior military officials in charge of the National Military Command Center, the Pentagon's war room. General Milley instructed them not to take orders from anyone unless he was personally involved. Uh, he was afraid based on, quote, Trump's erotic, erratic behavior. And um, in addition to all that, you know, pulling aside the top military brass and saying, do nothing without going through me first. Uh, he also had two back channel phone calls with his counterpart in China, uh, alerting this guy that he, Millie, would let him know before anything happened. Like if Trump issued some sort of an order on him, uh, with respect to a military strike. What? <laughs> That's <laughs> not OK. I'm no military expert. That's not OK. And we were seeing we're seeing a lot of people, top military guys, left and right, say, 
Sorry, but no, that's civilian. That's taking civilian command um, over the commander in chief who's been, you know, duly elected president of the United States. And he still was as of that date. Your thoughts. And this is another demonstration about uh, of you know how partisanship and particularly you know Trump hating partisanship has demented the brains of so many people. I mean, this is so clear. If if Bob Costa and Bob Woodward, who wrote this book together, and you know uh, Woodward's had some accuracy problems in the past, uh, Robert Costa has not. I have a lot more faith in him. And you know General Milley did release a statement, and the White House no, no one denied this at this point. So it seems as if it is true. But, you know, when you saw Jen Psaki, and, you know, can we finally treat her like we treated Sean Spicer? Mm -hmm. We know that the job of these people is to lie, right? Totally. But she does it with such eagerness and alacrity. In this whole thing, she got the January 6th insurrection into the question from the, one of the Ducey boys. It sounds like a gang. The Ducey boys. Peter right? Ducey, <laughs> son of Steve Ducey. The Steve Ducey? Is it which friends. one? Yeah, yeah. Peter Ducey Steve asked the, the question. And she's like, you know, uh, we were dealing with an insurrection at the time and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's not how it works. This is literally not how this works. And if you ask people in the military chain of command, they will say very much the same thing. The most disturbing part about this, of course, the quote, that uh, you read, Megan, which is when General Aldrich Ames decided to tip off the Chinese and say, hey, I'll tell you that. No, you don't get to do that. Who told <laughs> you you can do cow. that? Somebody, somebody tell General Milley that you can't do that. And the amazing thing about this is that the Biden administration is defending it because yep. The president is a lunatic, you know, you know, I mean, fine, you can have that argument. I, I what was that word? Probably, what is that? Probably, probably on your side in some way. Uh, but but th there was no sense that there was going to be like, like really, is anyone trying to quantify that there was actually a threat of a, a nuke attack on China? No. No, I mean, That's we, we discussed this happen. the other day. All three of us discussed the other day. <laughs> Donald Trump's foreign <laughs> policy over four years in, in the aggressive nature of it uh, was the uh, continuation of the ISIS campaign, which was, a, which was a good policy, and throwing 75 Tomahawk missiles into the desert in Syria and it was not hyper-aggressive when it came to foreign policy. Mm -hmm. So it's a very odd thing that he believes that he's going to launch a nuclear war and decides to uh, do an end run around the chain of command at the last minute, uh, which is not his remit. And keep in mind that General McChrystal spoke to, you know, out of turn in front of, I think, Michael Hastings, the Rolling Stone reporter, and Barack Obama fired him, yep. as he should have. Mm -hmm. And Barack Obama wrote in a kind of apologetic way in his memoir, like three or four pages about this. And his argument is entirely solid. He said, look, I don't want to do this, but you cannot go. There is a chain of command. He actually uses that phrase in the book. And if we think that's okay, and what they should have done, what he should have done, Millie, if he had a problem, was uh, do what General Mattis did. Walk away. Fire. And then, uh, yeah, fire yourself. Say, fire yourself and, and say, out. this is the problem. Take it and speak out. I mean, okay, let, let I me let little, me let me let me play bit, devil's advocate uh, and then you, and get you guys to respond then. OK, so you, yeah. the people who are defending this say like, well, Trump's a lunatic. Trump's insane. Trump. Who knows what Trump was saying behind the scenes? No. At the time, he wasn't talking about China so much as I was robbed. It was stolen and, you know, fraud. But who knows what he was hearing? And, and isn't it good to have an adult in the room behind? And if you thought really this insane lunatic president was about to launch a nuke on China for some reason, didn't he have an obligation to protect us. 
you have tools at your disposal. You can resign. You could you could use other members of Congress and the Senate. You could appeal to many, many people uh, who don't happen to be members of the CCP. That is an option <laughs> at all times. Um, I think it's also worth worth mentioning. Well, two things. One, um, General Aldridge James Moynihan. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's so very bad for anyone who missed that. That's good. You should rewind it and listen again. First, Google who Aldridge James is so you know. Um, but then the second thing. <laughs> you have to square this with other things that we were seeing said about the president and his conduct at the time that the president was talking openly about if if I'm leaving here, here's a memo. These are the things I want to do. Get out of Afghanistan, get out of Iraq and Syria, completely withdraw from Africa and Germany, Germany. Germany yeah. I have a very difficult time <laughs> understanding how anyone could think that it's likely He's going to release a bunch of nukes in that moment. They also, but nuke China. Again, there are options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you need those people Weird. in Germany to nuke China, Camille. You know, <laughs> well, that's that's a, about the military. Like the thing about the thing about contacting the Chinese and saying, "I'm going to let you know just in case he's about to launch a nuke up your, you know, you what?" Um, that's insane. I mean, I can see why people are throwing around the word treason because that actually could endanger the United States. I mean, just putting that on the table like it's a thing that Millie's been exposed to and feels so strongly about. He's got to reach out to to his Chinese counterpart and, you know, give him the the the, the flag on it. That that could create danger for U.S. citizens that didn't exist prior to the phone call. And the fact that the Biden administration is giving this a big shoulder shrug is correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, but I believe that Barack Obama's vice president was Joe Biden. Uh, so he's lived through this in a way before, but not as severe is it's upsetting. I understand loyalty. I guess I get that he likes Millie, but this is about something much bigger than liking General Milley. And this, the thing that to Moynihan's point about how people's views on Trump uh, warp their brain and their assessment of various things. And also there's a kind of a default Washington establishment uh, uh, feeling about U.S. foreign policy in the world that is probably more uh, aggressive uh, and institutional than certainly than Trump, but also largely the American people. These things play with one another. A thing that does not get as much outrage as a result of those phenomenon uh, is that a bunch of military brass, including Milley, um, at various points during the Trump administration, openly lied to the president of the United States about troop levels and military adventures in Afghanistan. Mm. They openly and bragged later, John Kelly bragged about uh, Trump coming to him saying, I want to get out of Afghanistan in 2017. Um, and they basically filibustered him. They they put him off. Uh, they kept trying to prevent the president of the United States from making his commander in chief decisions about withdrawing uh, from America's wars abroad. This is not something you should brag about. There's a great piece mm-hmm. uh, in Axios uh from I believe May of last year that or May of this year um, that talked in great length about how Millie and a bunch of other generals uh, openly tried to prevent Trump from carrying out his uh, preferred foreign policy, which is to get the hell out of Afghanistan. That's a big problem. You can't have the military lying to the president and not doing what the president wants. And that's a, such a different category of problem than, oh, my God, he's going to nuke China. Right. The, the foreign policy conception of Trump, which is almost always a weird and wrong and reflecting of biases, was that, OK, he's just a lunatic. So he might do a lunatic thing. And also somehow a lunatic thing would be to withdraw from 20 uh, year wars that have no real reason for continuing to exist. It, it, it scrambles the brain. Mm. 
Well, the press on Afghanistan has been really disgusting. I mean, as of late, they're they're they were interested when it was falling apart. Now they've moved on. And yet you still mm-hmm. have all these aid groups over there saying the, the administration is still lying to us. There aren't 100 Americans over there. There's more like a thousand. A lot of these aid groups are saying it's it's definitely several hundred. And it's not just American citizens. It's green card holders. And that, so that's not even counting the Afghan allies and all the others who we've left behind. Um Here's my point. Uh, no one seems to care. And what we're being told by Blinken is that we're going to lead with our diplomacy still. And the reports out right now are that the Taliban's going over there finding people who worked with the Afghan army or were in the Afghan army, despite their claims that they would grant them amnesty, which we've decided to pretend we believe, and beheading them, beheading them. There was a report out this week saying a nine and 10 year old boy were beheaded. There have been confirmed reports of multiple families having a a father, a father within the family beheaded in front of them. Um, This, as these aid groups are saying, they're desperately trying to get all these uh, Americans and green card holders and allies out. They said that they've got between 2,500 and 3,000 people fully vetted already. So we know that these are not bad guys trying to sneak in the United States, interpreters and so on. State Department will not move on it. And we've got people getting killed every day who helped us. And meanwhile, what you hear from Blinken is we're leading with our diplomacy. Yeah. Diplomacy is not a policy. <laughs> diplomacy, is, diplomacy can be a number of things, but it, one thing it most certainly isn't is some sort of blanket policy. I mean, you're right about, um, I don't think that the administration is naive about this. I just think they're lying about it because yes. what do you do you're if right. you don't say you're leading with diplomacy? Well, you have to say that. So you have to rechristen things as Taliban, Taliban 2.0, right? This is the new guys. They're different from the old guys, but you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And that's absolutely the case. In what do we expect from a seventh century death cult? Well, they execute people who work with the infidels, with the the Kufar Americans. So there's nothing surprising about this. But what does surprise me, I was was, um, on the subway coming in today and I was reading the news. There was a story this morning from the Associated Press. And this is really remarkable. And I think that this is, the, again, what Trump has done to warp the brains of so many people. Recall that everything that Trump said that was a lie, and there were, God, there were lots of them, it would be followed with the, the clause uh, without evidence. Right. Donald Trump said X comma without evidence. Okay, let's stick to that because, you know, politicians lie. That seems to have disappeared, right? And not only has it disappeared, but they have just taken the bait on essentially everything the administration says. And this is a piece from the Associated Press today. And this is just the first sentence of it. Friction between pragmatists and ideologues in the Taliban leadership has intensified. Pragmatists. Pragmatists. (laughs) Claims that the leader of the pragmatic faction, Abdul Ghani Baradar, was killed. Such hopes were disappointed with the formulation of an all-male, all-Taliban lineup last week. Such <laughs> hopes of that money. All men, they, were, they seem shocked that they were that there oh. was the, the government who's coming in is the, the Associated Press. They're saying I dashed. This is white supremacy in Afghanistan. The prime is soon they're gonna be sitting in the safe rooms at the National Archives. I can't handle yeah. this. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if there's trigger warnings in the uh, Taliban National <laughs> You know, this guy's what we'll do. We'll just send them an envelope. Like, just be careful. <laughs> but no, it is an envelope insane. full of stickers that they can append to everything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I like, mean, look, there is I, no modern faction, guys. I understand <laughs> that people are, you know, they're pretending, right? They're pretending on Afghanistan in many ways. But I have to say, you know, you guys, I don't know. Camille, you're younger than I am. You guys look around my age. (laughs) I don't know how old you are, Megan, so I don't know if that's 50. How old are you guys? You turned 50? Yeah, 5-0, baby. 
Wow. Well, is this why we can't wow. see? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You figured out my whole routine. But my point is simply this, that, you know, I lived through 9-11 when I was an adult. I was 30 yeah. when 9-11 mm-hmm. happened. I remember it very well. It was terrifying and it was awful for the whole nation. We felt it on a deep and visceral level. And it happened because mm-hmm. the Taliban was housing a terrible group, Al-Qaeda, and allowing them to, you know, plan and ultimately carry out terrorist attacks on us because they hate us for what we are, for what we stand for, none of which has changed. Not one thing has changed. We're just as much the West as we were then. And now you've got the Pentagon, you've got the State Department admitting that they think between the the latest number, which dovetails nicely on what Millie said about a week or 10 days ago to Jennifer Griffin of Fox News, within 12 months, they think we could very well likely see an attack on U.S. soil launched by Al Qaeda from a, a safe you know, area um, within Afghanistan. And of course, you know, the administration in defending this whole thing has said, oh, they promised us they were going to allow that. They promised us they were going to they were going to patrol Afghanistan. We're going to let it be a safe bed for terrorism. And I get that we can't have endless wars and all that, but we could have kept a residual force there to prevent the cavalier probably within 12 months. Yeah, we're going to get hit. Well, who, where, whose kid, whose person, whose town, whose home, whose friends? I, I don't feel cavalier about it at all. It's hard to know what what the risks are. I mean, one of the other lessons of 9-11 is that we had a, a massive failure of our intelligence apparatus, organizations that just were not talking to one another um, and a lot of inefficiencies there. And to, to the extent we're going to keep the homeland safe, the reality is that it, it only takes so much to have a, a Richard Reed shoe bomber type show up and attempt to to take down a plane. Um, we've seen lone wolf actors do pretty significant damage in other circumstances. The reality is that what we need is very serious, um, a very serious approach to counterterrorism. A lot of work um, domestically in terms of developing sources and intelligence, and and being able to execute so that you're responding to threats in real time here at the homeland. I, I suspect there's probably only so much you can do to disrupt these networks abroad. And there's a very real sense in which we. We lost control of Afghanistan a very long time ago that they'd been on. The Taliban had been on a trajectory where they were gaining strength. And the regime that we stood up over the course of two decades um, was completely corrupt. Um, And it was a failure that belongs to multiple administrations. And I I don't I don't have any confidence that six more months or 12 more months or even, you know, that residual force that we had there was actually going to deliver much to us. In fact, no. So I agree. Let me let me jump in on that, Camille, and and challenge you on that. I I agree with you. And I actually think that's a straw man, though. It wasn't like we were waiting for the magic point at which the Afghan army looked like our Marines. It was that when we had four thousand troops there, the system was working to an extent, to a to a reasonable extent where they weren't able to launch attacks on the United States from there. We had a counterintelligence force on the ground. We were able to keep eyes on on the bad guys and figure out what was being planned and to thwart a lot of it. And so the 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 joint effort for whatever it was worth was worth prevent pr- protecting the homeland in a meaningful way. Nor was this like Vietnam, where people were in the streets in America saying, bring them home, bring them home. Nor did the troops were the troops sounding like that. You know, troops fight. Troops understand this is part of the job. Most troops, they, they want to be in, in the theater. It's not that they want to die or get hurt. It's that they want to be theater in the theater. They don't feel about going to Afghanistan the way I do. Right. So I just feel like I'm not sure exactly what problem we were solving and pulling out the last 4,000. I get when it was 15 what we were doing. I don't see the urgent need to have pulled out the last four. That system seemed to be okay. 
Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, the difference in Vietnam, obviously, is the people protesting is because there was conscription versus an all-volunteer yeah. army now. The people that are much more willing to, to do these sorts of things, and that's what they signed up for. And they knew this going in. I mean, there were so many of these guys were just born when 9-11 happened. Um, so, yeah, to your point, Megan, I mean, I, I don't know where I land on this because there's so many counterfactuals and there's so many things that are worthy of writing novels and, you know, predicting what would have happened um, and none of it's falsifiable, but I, you know, I would point out to your point, which I think is 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 right in the sense that you know, when the Mujahideen that was uh, fighting the Soviets, that was partially funded by the U.S., partially funded by Saudi Arabia, and there were different factions. We were not training Bin Laden, by the way. But when when the Soviet Union fell and withdrew from Afghanistan, what you know filled that vacuum? The Taliban. And what was ten years after the Taliban? Uh, you know, this is 9-11. This is, you know, uh, what, 12 years after the fall of the Soviet Union or the actual fall of the Soviet Union, 10 years. And, you know, you need, I mean, having a state like that, which is functionally run by terrorists. I mean, we destroyed ISIS territory for that reason. You know, look at the places that Osama bin Laden was, uh, you know, getting his passport stamped prior to landing in Afghanistan. There were lawless places in which he could actually operate with the collusion of the government. There are very, very few places like that in the world right now. Um, and that's that's the case with terrorism all throughout the 20th century. I mean, governments that colluded with terrorists were East Germany, the Soviet Union, various Middle Eastern countries. If you have a country that's going to give a nod to terrorism and say, okay, our enemy is mutual here. Um, do what you have to do. We're not going to run you out of town. It is worrying, right? And but but also to Camille's point, it's, you don't need much. And you look at the attacks, mostly in Europe, over the past ten years, some of which have been absolutely catastrophic, Bataclan and things like that, where you know just dozens and dozens of people mowed down. And those are people that grew up in Europe. And their parents yeah, were actually homegrown. Uh, mostly they're homegrown terrorists. So there's a lot of concern in a lot of ways in this problem hasn't gone away. But we do know from the Taliban and from factions of Al Qaeda, Inspire magazine, et cetera, that they are absolutely emboldened by this. And they said they literally say we defeated another empire. Soviet Union first and mm-hmm. American next. So that that yeah. is a word. Now I'm more just... scared than ever. I'm more scared than ever. Thank you, Michael. Um, well, yeah, no <laughs> the, the threat's coming yeah. from every direction. All right, wait. There's, let me stand you by one second. balls and, and attacks. It's just a terrible thing. <laughs> no, no, I'm feeling better about the balls. Don't scare me. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I want to get to uh, immigration because what's crazy is we're, we're bringing back a lot of uh, Afghani refugees and so on. You think we're vaccinating them? Well, we're not. It's it's not mandatory. Uh, it's It's requested, not required. What, that's not true if you're an American citizen. What sense does that make? Not to mention what's happening at the southern border. We're going to pick it up there with Michael Moynihan, Matt Welch, and Camille Foster. And we'd love to hear from you on the topic of Nicki Minaj versus Joy Reid. Whose side are you on? Call us at 833-44-MEGYN. 833-446-3496. Let's talk about relationships. There is a common misconception that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself, these are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist, 
And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Megan. Welcome back to the Megan Kelly Show, everyone. I'm back now with the guys from the Fifth Column Podcast, Michael Morningham and Matt Welch and Camille Foster. And in about 20 minutes, not let not quite, a little bit, a little bit less, I'm going to be taking your calls at 833-44-Megan, M-E-G-Y-N. 833-446-3496. Whose side are you on? Joy Reeds or Nicki Minaj's? Um, okay, I've got it. I found the quotes about Dr. Fauci that I referenced before, so I've got to kick this block off of that, you guys. So the the Guardian is naming Dr. Fauci as the sexiest man alive. Um, There's also a documentary coming out about him titled Fauci. And these are the quotes, okay, from the documentary's (laughs) co-director. This is amazing. Uh, Tony is the signal amid the noise. People are able to sense that there's a lot of noise and their ears are trying to find the signal. And Tony is the signal. At the core of Tony's popularity is that people intuit that this is a man who is speaking the truth and will not let anything stand in the way. And look at the picture of him. He's like inside some weird Game of Thrones type. I don't know if that looks like the virus or the Iron Throne. I'm not sure what it is. But anyway, he is the signal, guys. He is the man who is speaking the truth and won't let anything stand in the way. That guy sounds like he's stoned. Um, The weird thing, I went to a toy store the other day, and this is... Um, something I don't remember from being younger. I remember all the great toys, but I went into a, a very, you know, kind of Brooklyn type toy store. And about 40% of the toys uh, yes, had I either Fauci or, yep. or uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or mm-hmm. AOC. And I'm like, God, I remember when there were like right wing books in the 2000s yeah. and they got stories. This is true. You can look this up. There was a book called like uh, Heather, Mom. Has, Heather has two mommies. Oh, oh no. The one uh, that conservatives wrote, like there are liberals under the bed or something. It was yeah. called. And there were these <laughs> crazy stories in New York Times. Like, I cannot believe what these lunatics are doing to indo- indoctrinate their kids. And I go to the toy store and I'm like. Do you, do you guys have Legos that don't that aren't like <laughs> that aren't the January sixth insurrection Lego set? I, can I just something that's just normal? My daughter doesn't like this stuff, so anyway, it's very weird. The, no, the left no decides when they love or might, hate. It might be just a slightly bad idea to to make uh, like public servants the the or people who are just public officials who are supposed to be doing a really difficult, complicated job. And you understand when they make mistakes and when they get it right, you, you applaud them and you hope they do a good job. But turning these people into heroes, imagining that they they can do no wrong, deifying them, that's maybe a bad idea, especially mm-hmm. maybe a bad idea for, you know, team we believe in science. I, I, I can appreciate the challenges associated with it in some to some degree um, Fauci's job. Um, I've been critical of him in certain instances, and I've lauded him in other instances. Um, but this is obviously just a step too far and in, in the direction of not being serious and kind of parsing the facts and trying to understand a complicated circumstance. This is something else entirely, and it's deeply unhealthy. 
You and can't they talk about him as this like noise. fearless truth teller with like, oh, masks do nothing. Oh, no, everybody has to wear them. Herd immunity is at 65, 70, 75, 80, yeah. 85, 95. Right? Uh, we didn't fund any gain of function research in the Chinese lab. And that definitely didn't come from a Chinese lab. But, you know, it's like, OK, please, either you're not paying attention, you're dishonest guardian. And, and having read The Guardian for many years, I think it's the latter. Um, OK, let's talk about immigration, because. It's crazy to me that we are not vaccinating. We are. It is not a mandatory vaccination for Afghan refugees. Okay, um, nor is it an, a mandatory vaccination for folks crossing our southern border illegally. And the Biden administration got such flack for that after its executive order saying all of us have got to get it, whether we want to get it or not, or get fired. That they said, okay, well, we're we're going to do something at the southern border. We are we are planning to begin vaccinating border crossers as they await processing. They're planning. It's not happening. In fact, right now we checked. There's no requirement that immigrants caught illegally crossing into the country be vaccinated. Uh, not even those who are allowed to remain to pursue asylum. We're not we're not requiring it. And so you tell me how people are supposed to feel about the fact that they, they might get fired if they don't get it. But we're letting in in, in August, 200,000 people came into the country illegally, uh, outmatched only by the month prior where it was 200,006. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are records that we're setting in the, the arrest at the border, 21 year high. No one's covering it in the media. So the bo- the border's a sieve and we're not requiring vaccinations of anybody. And we're supposed to look at this administration and say, OK, I will willingly take this vaccine or lose my job because, you know, I trust you. One thing about the border being a sieve is that I think it's not the the reason why you have 200,000 uh, arrests or, or 200,000 people and you have a lot of arrests is that legal immigration has been choked off in this country. Uh, it was choked off during the Trump administration. And Biden hasn't done a whole lot to change. We're not accepting, generally speaking, refugees. The Afghan uh, refugees are an exception to that rule. We're at, we're at you know, 40-year lows in, in accepting people. And granted, COVID's hard. COVID makes it a difficult question, um, but it hasn't really changed. So when you don't have uh, a legal uh, stance, we want to think and reason um, and you know, reasons of uh, pro-immigration, uh, generally speaking. When I was editor of the magazine, uh, we had a, a flowchart uh, designed of how you go through the proper legal channels uh, to get in the country and how long it takes on average. And the headline I put on it was "Get in line now, stay out." Uh, if you wanted to be, <laughs> if you wanted to be a nurse from the Philippines to get in legally, it would take 18 years. This is back in the day; it's probably different now. Um, but so, generally speaking, you're going to have more illegal crossings when the legal option has been choked off. Other thing about the mandatory vaccines uh, on people, I don't like mandatory vaccines on people as a starting point. Um, so I think it, it Same, more. But, you know, it, goose and gander. Um, the goose and gander point is important. That's why I don't want the president of the United States to use OSHA <laughs> what? <laughs> to right? make people get vaccinated. It's not really good for social peace in general. It's not good for people who have uh, their own reasons. They want to control their own body. Uh, they might be scared that their 13-year-old kid, you know, uh, will get myocarditis um, mm-hmm. if he's a boy and gets uh, the vaccine, which is a, you know, it's a low risk, um, but it's out there. It exists. And yet we're having the LA Unified School District and the Culver City School District make uh, vaccines mandatory for 12-year-olds now. And look, and we talk about this in the context of schools. And if you look at the numbers, as Matt has pointed out uh, pretty frequently on our podcast, and I think in print pieces too, that it is responding to a phantom problem in a lot of ways. And in this case, it is not. And people tend not to pay attention to this. Just look at what's happening right now with Afghan refugees, which I'm happy that 
a lot of people got out, not as many as as should have gotten out, particularly people who work with the with the uh, U.S. government. But I think there's eighty five hundred thousand people right now that are on various military bases. Some in the U.S., some not in the U.S. There has been a measles outbreak, which is kind of underreported. The fact that there was a measles outbreak amongst Afghan refugees. So it's not COVID. It's also very bad. And it shows you, you know, <laughs> hey, when you house people in conditions like this, which is necessary for, for the, the volume of people, um, that this is kind of crazy. And I think that if another administration was doing this, you would be hearing a lot more about it. And to the point about people coming across the border is that, yeah, no, there's the legal immigration has been choked off. But, you know, what we do with people who are detained and I was down at the border in January, and it was astonishing. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And the people, the border uh, patrol people I talked to and the Texas Rangers, that I talked to, they've never seen anything like it either. And they detain a lot of people. They have an incredibly sophisticated uh, surveillance network, and they pick all these people up. A lot of the people expect to be picked up, picked up, but they don't expect to be sent back to Central America. They don't expect to be, you know, okay, time to go. We're not processing you, and we're not going to house you. So it is a broken system almost every way. It has gotten more broken. And whether or not you support, you know, a more liberal immigration policy or a more conservative one, we cannot ignore the fact that this administration and the previous administration have had a completely cockamamie immigration policy that should not be ignored. And weirdly, weirdly, I'm not, I see AOC at the Met Gal. I don't see her clinging to a fence weeping anymore. Yeah, That was a good photo op. They don't uh, cover it anymore at all in the press. I mean, I just pulled this from Newsbusters, which they always take a look at the, you know, the the media, which we know is left-leaning. They said in August, a total, in August, a, a total of six minutes, 28 seconds were devoted by the big three networks in the evening newscasts to what's happening at the southern border. Six minutes, 28 seconds, four minutes on NBC, two minutes on CBS, zero on ABC. In July, it was four minutes and 20 seconds, um, which was a 94 percent drop from March. So, you know, we there was a month there where they were like, mm-hmm. crisis, crisis at the southern border. And I think that's because the news cycle was kind of slow. So it was a story for them to just mm-hmm. fill time with. And now it's the numbers haven't fallen. The numbers are big coming across the southern border. I, I know you guys have more, probably more sympathy for it than I do. I, I know you're, and I wouldn't describe you as open borders, but you're probably less less of a strict border person than, I don't know if I want to describe myself as strict borders, but I think I'm to the right of you. Um, but anyway, either way, I Kamala Harris story. solved the whole thing. I thought it was over. <laughs> That's why we don't hear about it. Didn't Kamala Harris solve The root cause. <laughs> Who is she? Is she still the vice president? I haven't seen her in a while. She, she, they, they, she's down in Joe, Joe Biden's basement, which is probably a good thing for their administration, their poll numbers. Um, yes. OK, so speaking of people who are very unpopular, <laughs> Kamala Harris, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Justice Kavanaugh. And let me run the soundbite that we er- erroneously ran earlier, because what's, here's what happened. Um, Justice Kavanaugh is still getting protested this time at his house. I hate when people do this on the left or the right. Don't bother people at the dinner table. Don't bother them in the restaurant. Don't bother them with their kids and don't bother them at their house. There's a big, big, big building in in D.C. where you can find Justice Kavanaugh. He's the only one of the nine who is actually going into the office to to do his job. Go find him there. You can protest there all day long. But don't don't get the man at his house. Still, here's what we saw. Okay, now let's run it.
that a school yeah. teacher in Chicago? I don't know. She needs some clonopin or something. Woo! Oh, that's <laughs> what is happening. You what were they even saying? <laughs> when, when abortion like rights, they're about abortion rights. Meanwhile, that's not all Kavanaugh's fault. It's like, you know, the Supreme Court, like whatever the conservatives are going to do what they're going to do. But I don't know. This has been a trend now where we seem to shrug our shoulders and people show up at the homes of people they don't like. And I don't I, I don't like that. Or dog them as they're walking to and from work. I mean, the Camille talks about this a lot. Um, this has also been memory hold by the media. But there was remember when Rand Paul was assaulted. I mean, he was assaulted in his in his house, but he's also just walking. Well, what was the event? There was an event that there were the, yes. there were a lot of it was the RNC convention. It's the RNC convention. Well, the, yes. Yeah. So a lot of uh, Antifa types well, just menaced people walking to and fro. And the justifications for all of this that you would hear from people and occasionally, you know, from a, a blue checkmark journalist as well is like, oh, you know, they have such control over lives. They need to be confronted for what they've done. They need to sort of see, uh, you know, uh, up close and personal. It's like, no, that's that's a bright line. You just don't go after people in public settings. You can boo the politician when he throws out the first pitch. Booed Bill de Blasio. Mm -hmm. one of the greatest things New Yorkers ever did. Not electing him twice by landslides, but at least booing the hell out of him whenever he throws out a first pitch at Shea Stadium or City Field. <laughs> um, but like, you don't go after them and get into their physical private spaces. And and the, it's, a, it's a sign of the current sickness of our culture that people are, are finding, twisting themselves in knots to justify this type of in, in, in fairness, um, Democrats have been pretty good on this too. Dick Durbin came out um, Washington Post had an unsigned editorial today saying this stuff is all wrong and, and crazy. Mm -hmm. The thing that I find amazing about it, and I know that, Megan, you talk about um, uh, court stuff quite a bit, uh, considering your background. I follow it a, a, a little less closely, but the, the, the thing that stuck in my memory in the past year, and I just did a quick Google search this morning, is that it, it, going after Kavanaugh is a pretty interesting thing. These are the headlines of the past you know, year. Brett Kavanaugh emerges as unlikely liberal hope for Supreme Court. Kavanaugh <laughs> to the liberal rescue, Wall Street Journal. <laughs> Robert Kavanaugh give liberals win on conservative court. And, and, you know, this keep going and going and going because there was a minute where conservatives were totally outraged that Kavanaugh, well, Trump too, outraged that Kavanaugh was not uh, uh, ruling in their, quote unquote, in their favor. Mm -hmm. And you realize with these psychopaths who show up and screech at somebody's house. And by the way, if you're doing that, there's something wrong with you. You need help. You need a hobby. You need to do better things. Read a novel. These people need perfection from a concern. You can't just sit there and say, you know, he's actually surprised us in a lot of ways. He has not been Scalia-like. He's not been Thomas-like. He's been kind of malleable on a lot of these issues. No, he, he's not, you know, on our team. We're going to go mau-mau him at his house. That is insane. And the people who do it should be utterly ashamed of themselves, but they're not capable of shame. It's a good point. Yeah, why, why, aren't, why aren't they at Thomas's or Alito's house? They couldn't find yeah, him in the yeah. phone book. <laughs> yeah, the cultural tendency towards illiberalism is is something that I found pretty disturbing. I mean, we've all bear, borne witness to it. We've seen it happen. We saw last summer, um, and I suppose I can still say that, right? Even though it's like middle of September now, um, but but up to January sixth. But like, you can't forget, it wasn't just politics. Like uh, Jeff Bezos had a yeah, guillotine right. erected in front of his home in yes, Washington right. D.C. Right. Like we can't normalize stuff like this. It's important to call it out on on all sides when we see it happening. It is certainly the case that there are going to be political outcomes that we dislike, and protest has its place. Uh, but it is certainly the case that we probably aren't at the point where we ought to be suggesting that we're going to murder one another uh, if we don't get our way. I, I just mm -hmm. don't see the benefit in in any of this nonsense. 
He's got kids too. You know, it's like reminds me of what happened with Tucker and his wife. And he's got kids at home. We saw it with certain bank executives 10 years or so ago, closer in time to the financial crisis. Like anybody, it shouldn't be done to anybody, but it really shouldn't be done to somebody who's got kids at home. It's just so uncivil. It's not, it's not tolerant, you know, sort of the tolerant left that shoots Larry Elder's security guard in the rear end, throws an egg at his face, shows up at Justice Kavanaugh's house when they easily could have just gone to the Supreme Court like, like, like a pro choice protesters have been doing since the dawn of time. Their point is clear. We get it. They, they get more coverage that way because the news media is standing there all day. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like the only way to speak out against it is to just keep covering it, even when it's lame and the lady with the drum is trying. I mean, it's like they weren't scary, but they were obnoxious. <laughs> and I just want to give them sort you of never want to be the lady with the drum. Just make sure in life that that's never a position that you're in, the lady with the drum, unless you're a drummer in Prince's band or something. What are you Chile. What do we you guys, want? New chant. Please. Any new chant. That's what we want. She could come back as the flautist in the next iteration. It's been wonderful. You guys love talking to you. Thank you so much for all the time. Michael Moynihan, Matt Welch, and Camille Foster. Let's do it again soon. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. All the best, guys. Next up, let's have a conversation. I would love to hear from you. Call me. This is it. Call me in, Call me right now. 833-44-MEGYN. We can put you on the queue right here, and I'll start selecting the calls personally. We're going to have a nice long chat. 833-446-3496. What do you think about the fact that you have to be vaccinated mandatorily, but the Afghan refugees don't and the immigrants coming across the southern border don't? Oh, great. Uh, we'll be right back. Let's talk about relationships. There is a common misconception that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself these are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Megan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Megan. Welcome back to the Megan Kelly Show, everyone. We're taking your calls right now at 833-44-MEGAN, M-E-G-Y-N. That's 833-446-3496. And um, I think we're going to kick it off with Andrew from Virginia. Andrew, you've been waiting 40 minutes. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. What's on your mind? Well, you know, I was interested about the uh, Millie situation because what's so egregious about what Millie did is that he is not even in the chain of command. If the president was dis disabled, he would nowhere in no way be the person who would make that call mm -hmm. after a whole slew of anybody else. Um, he is an advisor to the president. Mm -hmm. uh, so for him to have stepped in and say, these decisions are not made without my, you know, input is is beyond. That's not like Mike Pence stepping up and going, hey, you know, let's get the cabinet together. And, you know, because the president may be unstable, if that's your opinion. 
he completely jumped everything. He did yeah, it's true. If you if you look at uh, you know Number designated eight. survivor or, or lone survivor, who who comes down the chain of command, he's not there. We get down to maybe the the House Speaker, but we don't get to General Milley. He's forgive the term, but the executioner, he's the person who actually has to press buttons and make it happen. And at no point did no, the general public I- empower him. Well, somebody in the military has got to do. I don't I don't know he who actually presses that. the button. No, no, no. He's not a military person at that point. He it would be the SECDEF who would do it if you want to talk about whoever in the military. But mm-hmm. he's not even the button pusher. No, no, that's not his position. Well, I actually don't understand exactly how it would go if we launched a nuclear attack. But I do know this, that he took all of the generals and apparently made them take an oath that they were going to be loyal to him in that moment and do as he instructed, which is. And that's really all you need. If that's true, and and we're going to hear from General Milley, who's testifying before Congress next week. So let's hear what he has to say. If that's true, he's got to go. Um, anyway, I thank you for calling, Andrew. I, I appreciate it. And then let's get down to uh, Sandy in Mississippi. Hey, Sandy. Hey. Um, I just wanted to say um, I'm a breast cancer survivor, and I do not think that the vaccine should be mandatory. Um, I, I think that's not in my best interest right now to take it because we don't know what that has to do to our body in the future fighting cancer. Now, are you employed? Are you a danger of, of losing your job if you don't get it? No, not at not at this time. No, I'm not. But what um, about do you worry but, about not, you can't get on an airplane? You know, you can't go to the museums in New York. You couldn't go to the restaurants. More and more, you're going to be banned from going to any of these places unless you have a vaccine proof. Right, right. And I just don't think I think everybody should be able to make the choice on whether or not they want the vaccine. Mm-hmm. What does your doctor say? Well, um, I have several doctors, but two of my doctors who deal with my hormones and um, oncologists, they did did not recommend the vaccine for me. And so Mm. I just hope that if that time comes, that they'll be able to write me something that says, hey, you know, she doesn't need to take the vaccine. You know, Um, I just, you know, and of course, you know, the regular primary care doctor, they say, you know, Get the vaccine, get the vaccine. But I just don't think that's the best thing for me. And I want to be able to make that decision myself. Yeah, that's not- the thing. You've already been through a massive health challenge. And this is Joe Biden who's telling you he knows better. That's what's so infuriating about it. He's really inserting himself between the citizenry and their medical professionals. It feels wrong to me, too. Right, thank you for calling. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to Brendan down in Florida. Brendan, what's on your mind? Hey, it was just about this illegal immigration stuff. I mean, I was in the board, Trump came in under Reagan, went through, you know, all the way through Obama and then uh, Trump there at the end. And what hypocrisy. I mean, where's Fauci in all this? You know, he's lecturing everybody about wearing the mask, get vaccinated, and all these illegal immigration, you know, illegal immigrants <clears throat> coming across willy nilly. It's just the hypocrisy is just amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I know. And, and it's undermining this the speech that Biden makes, you know, how important it is to get vaccinated. And he's sort of doing this for the good of the community. And it's like, well, why are you treating American citizens worse than you're treating 
immigrants, refugees, people who are breaking the law to get into the country. Like, if anything, they should be held to higher standards. And instead, he's looking at, I mean, the medical personnel are the ones that really drive me nuts because it's like those guys have already made massive sacrifices and risked their lives. So many of them got COVID and they're told, too, that they need a vaccine, even though the data shows they probably already have immunity more so than the vaccine. They're going to lose their jobs. But the illegal immigrants who cross the southern border, they don't have to get anything and they'll probably get a job and wind up taking Social Security and so on. Oh, no, no, no. In the worst day two movement, you know, all these women, the open borders are not compassionate. They're subjected to all kinds of bad stuff coming through Mexico. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, even in the Wall Street Journal, they had an article about these women getting gang raped coming through Panama, these Venezuelans. You know, it's awful. It's truly it is a humanitarian crisis. And if it were happening on Trump's watch, we'd hear a lot more about it. But they've gone totally, totally silent um, on it. You know, OK. All right. Want to get another caller in? Let's go to Rick in Indiana, middle of the country. Megan, how are you? Good, Rick. How you doing? Doing great. Hey, the core issue of everything you're talking about today, you're talking about immigration and the border. You're talking about vaccination and, and body rights. The big problem we have that no one's talking about is there's a war on free speech and authentic speech. People are getting canceled. They're afraid to speak out. You can't have debate these days the way we did even 15, 20 years ago, heck, even three years ago. I want to know your thoughts on the authenticity of speech and what you think about the importance of that. Well, I basically think if it comes from a politician, I don't believe it. And I don't care whether it's Trump or Biden or Harris. I don't believe these politicians, if their mouths are moving, they're lying. And it's one of the reasons why I refuse to put on a team jersey for either of the sides. I think when you meet somebody, an authentic politician, it's so refreshing, right? Like I did this thing with Dan Crenshaw that I mentioned the other day. I think that guy's an he's an honest guy. He's a truth teller, which makes him an anomaly. And maybe maybe it'll make it hard for him to ascend beyond, uh, you know, his congressional level up to the very top. But I hope not. Um, But I think you're right. People are scared. And the polls show that they're very scared to speak their minds. And it's totally un-American. Go ahead. You saw it with the Democrat Party as well, with Tulsi Gabbard, the way she got shut down by the establishment left. It's not a right and left thing. It's a it's an American thing. Amen. I think it's it's very frightening for the future of the country. And I and I think everyone who's listening today should wake up, speak up, speak out and uh, exercise free speech. Couldn't agree with you more. Rick, thank you. All right. So we did better today. We did better on the calls. We're going to do it. We're going to figure it out, you guys. And we'll, we'll have a more robust call se- segment like this, I hope, each day. Thank you for being part of the show. Tomorrow, I'm excited because Glenn Greenwald will be here. We'll talk about why he says the media constantly cheer for war, his take on the fall of Afghanistan and the new class system emerging between the unmasked elite and the mask wearing serfs. Today's show is also going to be available this afternoon on any and all podcasting platforms for free. Search The Megan Kelly Show and YouTube.com slash Megan Kelly to see it. Thanks. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 